Massacre on Straight to the Core Podcast. What is going on, ladies and germs? It is Matt Massacre here. As always, your host this evening for another rendition of Straight to the Core Podcast. And this is part two of our Death Metal Diaries, a 90s death metal retrospective miniseries where our friends from Australia, Mr. Stephen O'Brien and Paul O'Brien of death metal band Eons Abyss, quotes in the air, take over the podcast, where they discuss some of the most influential death metal albums of the 90s and uh, what they mean, what those albums mean to them, not only as musicians, but what those albums mean to metal as a whole. And um, it's a really great idea, and I'm so happy that these guys brought it to the table. Um, this was completely... Stephen Paul's idea from Eons Abyss, and I was all about it, and I'm real happy to be able to put it together. And if you're just joining us, please go back and listen to part one, uh, if you don't mind. I know I'd appreciate it for obvious reasons, <laughs> um, but there's a lot of great conversation in that episode, and a lot of knowledge to absorb, especially if you're not familiar with quotes in the air, old school death metal. Um, it, it's one of my favorite genres, just death metal as a whole. Um, but this era of death metal in particular, I went through a really deep phase in high school. Um, kind of funny enough, you know, Steve and Paul, who grew up in the 90s and were in, were in high school when these albums were dropping, which kind of makes me jealous because I was born in 91 and majority of these albums that are being discussed in this miniseries came out in 91. But on the other side of that coin, it still makes me happy to know that I was born in a year that all these albums came out and influenced so many people to broaden the death metal sound as you hear it today. So, I mean, take the good with the bad. But this week is no different. Steve and Paul have three more amazing death metal albums from the 90s to discuss what they mean to them, what they mean to music, and what they mean to metal as a whole, period. And kind of similar to what we did last week, we'll... Let these guys take over the podcast, and then I'll kind of put in my two cents on what these albums mean to me. It's a different perspective. I kind of like it, because these guys got to live it, I got to rediscover it, and it, I don't know, I like the idea. I really do. Um, last week, little little uh, recap, so that way you know, I'll do this every week, I'll kind of recap what we discussed, so that way if you're just joining us, you can go back and listen to those episodes of some of these albums that are discussed, are some of your favorites as well. So last week's three albums were Obituaries, Cause of Death, Morbid Angels, Blessed Are the Sick, and Death's Spiritual Healing. Uh, three amazing albums. Oh, I love them so much. Um, this week is no different. The three albums that Steve and Paul are going to discuss are Deicide's self-titled album Deicide, Cannibal Corpse, The Bleeding, and Napalm Death, Harmony Destruction. Super, super excited about this one. Um, these guys make some really, really great points on a lot of these albums, and um, I feel like this wouldn't be possible if the perspective wasn't there of these guys living in the moment, you know? It's it's just really cool. Um, and in turn, to piggyback off last week, as you guys know, Straight to the Core has always been about supporting underground metal. Always, always, always. And this miniseries is no different. Uh, due to copyright issues, 
I don't have the licensing available for the podcast to be able to play any classic tracks from these albums that are going to be discussed in this miniseries. Which bums me out because, you know, I want you guys to hear them. But luckily enough, a majority, if not all, of these albums are on your favorite streaming service. So you can, hopefully after you listen to these episodes, go back and check these albums out and, and learn to enjoy them. Um, especially if you've never heard of them. Uh, or if you're not familiar with the albums, you might be familiar with the bands and not so much familiar with the albums, or vice versa. Either way. So, in order to still have music be a part of this podcast, which is kind of the heartbeat of this podcast, and being that we've kind of adopted the motto, Outlet for the Underground, I took some inspiration from Eon's Abyss. I kind of went through a little bit of their history, a brief cliff note version of the history of Eon's Abyss and how they came to be, being that they're the hosts of this miniseries. Um, I'm just kind of here. <laughs> now I'm here, but I'm not here, but this is, they're taking over the podcast. So at the end of the day, these episodes are from them. Um, but I took inspiration for how they came to be. And if you're curious on that whole story, I'm not going to get into it again here. Go back and listen to part one. I talk about it in detail in the first 15 minutes or so of the episode. Um, but I took how they came to be known as Eon's Abyss today and let that inspire me to think, hey, you know, I wonder if there's any more modern old school death metal influenced bands out there today. And so I did some digging, did some research, and I was able to find 16 bands from 11 different countries that wanted to be a part of this. Blew me away. I was so, so excited uh, to have this. So before bands apart. There's four parts, 16 bands, four divided by four, or 16 divided by four. I can't math. Don't, don't, just scratch that. <laughs> wow. Um, we had four bands last week. We'll have four more bands this week, and then eight more bands across the next two parts, parts three and four, that'll happen across the next two weeks. Um, last week, little recap again, we had Grave Carver, Chainsword, Dathus, and Celestial Sanctuary. So shout out to those guys again for being a part of part one. Uh, please go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear some tunes from these guys. You will not not regret it, I promise you. Uh, but like I said, this week is no different. We have four more bands from all over the world that are here for part two of Death Metal Diaries. And this week we have Beekeeper from San Diego, California with their song Vegeta. We have Virulent Scourge, or Scourge, Scourge, Scourge. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> but Virulent Scourge from Warsaw, Poland, with their track Plague Whispers. We have Paranorm from Sweden with their track Critical Mass. And last but certainly not least, we have Casket Grinder from Colombia with their track What Lies Across. And these these bands will be featured and tracks will be played after Steve and Paul do their thing here on Straight to the Core. And I think with all that being said, we'll get right into it. So, fellas, do your thing. Welcome back to part two of Eon's Abyss, randomly musing about death metal albums that inspired us back in the day. I'm Paul, I'm the vocalist with Eon's Abyss, and thanks very much to Matt Massacre for your continual support of the underground metal scene, including great things that you've done for us. We're proud to be involved in your podcast anytime we can. 
I'm Steve from Eons Abyss. I do the uh, guitar and the music. And um, just as an aside right now, we're busily working away with a bunch of other really cool guys from Melbourne. And we're gearing up to play live for the first time in 30 years. Can't wait. So last time we discussed three iconic albums that influenced us beyond all telling. And we've got three more for you this time. All right. Next album. Deicide. Self-titled <laughs> album. 1990. Uh, in June, 1990. Again, um, Scott Burns, Morris Sound, but released on Roadrunner. Yeah. What does someone say about Deicide when hearing them for the first time? Um, you got to start with this album. You do have to start with this album. There are other albums that are absolutely brilliant by Deicide, um, but this is the one that they all come from, <laughs> if that makes sense. Probably doesn't. Um, but, yeah, I think you've got to start their discography with this one. Um, and, again, it just it had its own unique sound, didn't it? The real seething, um, real venomous, evil Evil's sound to it. Legit yeah. evil is the word. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. remember how we discovered Deicide, but the one thing I do remember as my earliest memory is seeing Glenn Benton <laughs> interviewed on TV about metal music being evil. And yeah. he, he obviously had the upside down cross burned into his forehead. <laughs> and they asked him if he was possessed. And he, he said, yes, I am possessed by a demon. And didn't, he had he say, this, didn't he say, of course? Of course. Yeah, of course. And he had this, <laughs> his black look in his eyes. His eyes had this blackness about him. He did look legit evil. Yeah. And, and you know, they they uh, they obviously wore the armour and they were pretty pretty full on about it. And yeah. they, apparently they, they signed their record contract in blood as well. <laughs> but um, they're not, they weren't a gimmicky band and they still are. Like they were legit awesome musicians and this had a really really different sound to it didn't it and it was captivating sound really catchy um the riffs are uh, just fucking amazing the vocal style was again very distinct actually the first time i reckon we heard glenn benton's vocals was probably off harmony corruption with the backup vocals he did in there you might be right you know and um you know did it as a high voice and then all of a sudden you hear what they have on their release it's like holy shit um, that sort of blending of vocals that he did and even the style of singing. Uh, I don't know, there's probably a terrible description, but it's almost like rap singing death metal. <laughs> well, it's something that's, in, you know, we've, we've, we've used what he does and what he did with his early albums with yep. the blending, the highs and the lows. Yep. Yep. And he really just it was about, okay, and I know he got some flack, from the vocal production about, you know, effects on voice and all the rest of it. But it was just legitimately trying to create the atmosphere that was demonic and it bloody worked. <laughs> and that, that album too, like I, I often say it's, it's the death metal version of Slayer's Rain and Blood. It's, mm. it's, a, it's a short, sharp, intense yep. slap yep. in the face that you can listen to from go to woe. And Every just, single song just bloody captivates. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know I know we used to have a lot of fun playing "Lunatic of God's Creation," and I think we we also yeah. had a crack at "Dead by Dawn" as yeah. well, which again, it, "Dead by Dawn." And much now, to my chagrin, we never tried um, 
sacrificial suicide. <laughs> but the, 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 the intense heaviness at the end of Dead by Dawn. Yep. It's just, again, knowing that this stuff didn't exist back when this was released in 1990. Yep. To, with that level of heaviness. It was, it was an absolute sledgehammer of, of brutality and heaviness, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yet, as I said, you know, just so catchy too. The riffs through it, it just, they, they captivate you. And of, of course, you know, again, cast, cast, cast the lens back to that time we had, those, we had issues with metal being censored and yep. the, uh, the PMRC, anti-metal. And, but we didn't have the internet, so it was a, it was a, it was a strange phenomenon where you know we had bands like Deicide sort of sticking it up, mm. those that were trying to censor the music and deliberately being as in your face and, 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 and as evil as possible, which I think is one of the reasons they chose the name. Which yeah, um, and I've I've read that he he's Glenn Benton's talked about um, it's about attacking God to the end. Yeah. And by God, they they also mean the system, right? You know, they're just going to keep attacking it and attacking it until 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 they've defeated it. And it's fair to say that they've never unrelented from that with their music. They, they've never sold out. <laughs> Through the, yeah, uh, uh, but this is uh, that's you know following Deicide is like a, a full commitment to yep, yeah, I'm all in. Don't care where you're going to go with this. We're with you. Yeah, <laughs> we're just going to follow, enjoy it. That's it. There's yeah. no, there's no um, reservations to be had. No, you, you, you know, you're just going to get some, some good quality in your face, heavy death metal. Absolutely. Still, still a band that we, we need to see live as well. We haven't seen yeah, them live. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I liked in, in this album too was the, the cool, and there wasn't many of them, but the cool samples like a, the, uh, the reference to they'll be here with flamethrowers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, oh, it was a thing that was done a lot at that time, wasn't it, with albums and obviously, you know. But that was a time when it first sort of to started to come in those little samples and stuff, and they had great impact. They sure did. They worked them in beautifully. Even the starting, you know, opening of the crypt sound yes. that you get. <laughs> yes. It's fucking great. And the artwork's cool as as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yep. um, everything about them was. Even even the photo the band took in front of a statue of Jesus saying the statue was glowing because they're so evil. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Beautiful. And I think uh, they are they are lunatics of uh, a different God's creation, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if they are God's creation, he's going to regret it. True. <laughs> All right, well, we'll move on to another band that obviously had a good sense of evilness to them and the album that sort of put them on the map in a big way that's cannibal corpse <laughs> and the bleeding from 1994 which is a little bit later that yep. they were they were helped out by th probably three things a heap of controversy around their their former the art the artwork prior to the the bleeding yep the the fact that um they were in Ace Ventura, <laughs> which was great. Like how how, yeah, was fantastic. how amazed were we to see <laughs> I that? Know. Yep. Is that Cannibal Corpse? Oh my god, yeah. that's Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. I was on a first date when I saw Ace Ventura, <laughs> and that came up, and I was like, I'm not going to say anything because she's going to know what I, who I am. 
But yeah, I was secretly chuffed. Hammer smash face. Holy shit. Mm. The only thing that really shitted me was that they actually, um, they sort of, uh, they blocked out the vocals. Yes. You could hear the music, but you couldn't hear the vocals. They were, they really worried the authorities with their uh, gore splatter. And that was the third thing. The third thing that they were, they were literally banned in a num- number of countries. And I believe that they were banned in uh, some, in Australia for a bit as well. Yeah, right. Well, actually seeing a, um, watching a, a um, YouTube thing on Cannibal Corpse, Bob Dole helped them out a lot. Because he referenced them as a as a as a um, he cited them as an example of the decline of American culture. Yes, I, which I, I just yes. raised awareness for them, and they have thanked him ever since because it just yeah it it just people noticed them and listened and were quite pleased. And it's another Roadrunner Scott Burns Morris Hound um, release as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think they. Yeah, yes. I think the first three, at least, they um, they travel down to Morristown to get down to actually, get done. I, I, it's, it was actually Metal Blade. I take that back. But it was Scott Burns. Yeah, it was Scott Morris Burns. Sound. Yeah. Um. So, again, so much good music was coming out of Morristown Studios. It was the place to be. And and Cannon Corpse is always about the groove, and that that's just such a it's such a um, addictive music to listen to. Um, coupled with brutality in their lyrics. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 bass being so prominent and Alex Webster being an absolute genius. Yeah. Um. It just and you know the precision with which they play, and yet the sheer musicality of what they do. Um. This is my favourite Cannibal Corpse album. I don't think they've ever made a bad one. No, I agree. <laughs> um. But to me, this is peak Cannibal Corpse. And again, with a vocal bias. Probably largely because of Chris Barnes, um, I reckon this is his best vocal performance of anything he ever did. Because it's just so brutal. It is so low and yet so clear. It's clearer than anything else he's done, I reckon. They were on point with this. And they they even had a, a, a music video that, that made its way onto... MTV, yeah. staring yeah. through the eyes, staring of the through dead, eyes of the dead. Yeah, yeah. which we we were lucky enough to catch on our again now once a week potential metal um, TV show called Rage in Australia that would often they'd play eight hours of music overnight on a Saturday from you know from eleven o'clock through to five or six o'clock in the morning, and somewhere within there they would put maybe a half hour to an hour worth of metal. But it would always start with rock and then build up and get heavier and heavier. And eventually they'd go somewhere like a cannibal corpse and then it would be off to ABBA or something like that. But but we, again, we used to set up our VHS on long play, record, whack it in, record it overnight, jump up in the morning and then speed through the the VHS and and pray Mm. that we'd, uh, we'd got something new or something, you know, really heavy to Mm. watch. And again, we were lucky enough, um, this is one of the rare occasions where we got to see them live too. So they came yes. out to Australia. Was it ninety? Was it ninety four or five? Um, it would have been ninety five or ninety six. Uh, Probably ninety five, really? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was for this. It was for the bleeding, I reckon. Yeah, it was. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great show. I'll never forget that show too for the support act, which was the Aussie band Damaged. They absolutely killed it. If, if you haven't heard of the band Damaged, check out the song Nails. It's mental. 
<laughs> anyway, the um, the lyrics and and the, you know their song titles. Yeah, they really like. I always thought that the two bands that were, that were genuinely the most evil with their lyrics were Slayer and Cannibal Corpse. There was something serial killerish like with their lyrics. What, what, what's your take on these types of lyrics and song names? You know, comparing it to not comparing it, but also knowing that you know death had progressed to more, yeah, um, you know, to to, to a more uh, commentary on society. Yep. Obviously, Morbid Angel were telling their own stories. Yep. This was this was as brutal as it got. Was it, it was like oh, a horror, horror movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was um, it was cleverly done. I mean, I think Chris Barnes was responsible for the lyrics in the in this album. Um, and it was first person. Really, if you were a demented psychopath, it was the thoughts that that person would randomly have, just written down. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what that's. It's like it's like you did get a glimpse into the mind yep. of a, a psycho. Straight to the point, no no floweriness around it. Just right. straight to the point, and and worked for that point of view. Um, and you know, obviously, they had a bit of a thing going with um, with the um, the artists that they have used for all of their covers, and it was going to be the same sort of um, topics and uh, genre. And almost, you know, you get that happen with, um, you know, Behemoth do that. Um, Bolt Thrower did that. You mm. just got to, this is your thing and you just keep doing it with endless variety within what you do. Beautiful. And I think um, lots of references to eyes, you know, taking the eyes out or cutting the eyes out. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 there's a definite. Uh, it was definitely the trophy of this serial killer. That's no, right. No question. <laughs> and look, we, like you said, they haven't really released a bad album. But what what's your take on uh, Corpse Grinder and he, what he brought to the band versus Barnes? Uh, probably a consistency, for sure. Um, I do prefer Chris Barnes's vocal style, um, but there's no doubting the the power and consistency of Corpse Grinder. And interesting, I'm actually really looking forward to their their new album. Because his vocals, the the single they released, um, a lot clearer again. It's almost like a yeah, yeah. So I'll be very interested to see how they how they sound. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely genius. And of course, we know that a lot of that power comes direct from the neck. <laughs> a neck as big as my torso. I'm sure of it. There is no other neck like that in death metal no. or metal in general. Yeah, yeah. That's, that circle head banging oh God. Has, has done its thing. Yeah, real powerhouse and powerhouse band. And, you know. There was a. Do you, do you have a favorite song on the album? On, on the, bleeding? the Bleeding? Yeah. Um, maybe The Bleeding itself or Staring Through the Eyes of the Dead. Yeah, good choice. The, the Bleeding itself, I loved. Like the, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. the hammer and pull offs in that were, were brilliant. Yeah. I also really like the pickaxe murders <laughs> like the the way that song starts it's really got this massive groove yeah and there was actually uh, with everyone being in lockdown the the singer from black dahlium murder trevor strand i think it was did a, a uh, collaboration with a few other musicians i think the bass player from suicidal 
Uh, yeah, right. Guitarist from Gwar. Can't remember who the drummer was, but uh, they killed it. It's such a good song. Yep. <laughs> it's a great song. Yeah. All right. Yep. We'll move on. So the next one I want to talk about is uh, the mighty Napalm Death with Harmony Corruption. Yep. Which was a change for the band. Obviously, they had a new vocalist, someone who came from a, a death metal background of Benediction with yep. uh, Barney. Yep. And they'd up sticks and moved over to where it was all happening in Florida to get access to Morrisound Studios yep. uh, through Earache and um, with Scott Burns producing. So, yep. Harmony Corruption, the third release, definitely a more of a death metal album than a grindcore album. Yep. But. They clearly brought in that grindcore influence. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I'll go on record. This is the heaviest album ever made. Now, you need to justify that. Well, they've taken that grindcore style, and um, I think certainly the Morris sound effect with death metal was clarity yeah. despite brutality. And applying that to that grindcore sound, I sat and listened to it the other day and and I hadn't listened to it for a little while. <laughs> and just the, 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 the seething wall of sound, particularly from Vision Conquest. Yes. <laughs> the seething wall of sound is like being in the middle of a tornado or something. And, and yet... Out of that, you just get this clarity of these just compulsive riffs that come through it. But they come out of this seething sound. So it's almost like um, uh, <laughs> it's almost like being in the midst of chaos and the chaos itself forms a structure. That's what this album is like. It's very nicely put. <laughs> and what, what, what's amazing with this album too is you, you look at how they play the songs now and they, they've got a real punk grindcore uh, vibe to how they play them. They, they yep. mess them up a little bit. Yep. They're a bit sloppy. They're just, they go hard. Yep. They, the riffs that they played on this album lend themselves to that, but also the way they played them on this album, it's perfect death metal. Yep. And the other thing they did, which I don't, rem I don't think it had been done before this way, was they properly captured the blast beat in a really high quality studio sense. Uh, Mick Harris's drumming on this is just incredible. It's just relentless, and relentless if you, patternings. If you want to do yourself a real favour, listen to the, the release that um, Earache did with the full dynamic range because because the drums were so brutal for the release back in the day and it was obviously released for CD, it was quite um, limited. They, they used a lot of compression on it and they limited the track to, to bring it all, all the volume as loud as possible, but... Where they've taken the break off a little bit with that, with the full dynamic range, the drums, the drums come to life in a, in a different way compared to the original release, mm. which is even better in mm. terms of selling that grindcore death metal crossover that they managed to to achieve. Mm. And um, and Barney's vocals as well, um, compared to subsequent releases. Yeah, there's just a clarity. What Scott, um. Morrison did to Scott um, Burns. Scott, Scott, Scott Morrison. Fuck, he'd fuck <laughs> it up. Um, what's, 
<laughs> What's Scott Burns Morris sound? Um, <laughs> uh, the fat fucker. Um, what Scott Burns did to the vocals, uh, the clarity in those vocals too, um, you don't get in the other releases the, yeah. for Napalm Death. I, I, I agree. Like you, you go to the album after this, which was um, or they what they released a bit of an EP compilation, Mass Appeal Madness, that had a little bit of um, Bill Steer in it as well, singing, which was great. Mm. <laughs> I like I like the fact that Bill Steer was in. In car, um, in Napalm before Carcass, yep, which was killer. But uh, was it Utopia Banish that came out after? Yep, and and that that's got a different sound, hasn't it? That's a yeah, yeah, very much back to a grindcore sound. More noise, yep. Obviously, br- brilliant album as well, but different, very different. And it's funny, like again, the th- this album was highly criticised by some, but also critically acclaimed and continues to be. Yep. And, I, and yeah. I know the band have talked about things in this album they don't like or, you know, um, they've mentioned they hate... Some, I think it might have been Barney or someone mentioned they hate the song Unfit Earth, which, oh, yeah, right. which was, to me, one of the coolest things ever back in the day when you had, you know, a guest vocalist in John Tardy and Glenn Benton. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. Um, they, as I said, they sort of change up the songs a little bit when they play them live now, but... The groove in these songs, the, the oh, yeah. riff structuring, you know. Um, we used to play Malicious Intent, which was a lot of fun. Yep. That, well, that song and, of course, Suffer the Children. Suffer the Children. Yeah. Yep. But Malicious yep. Intent was an inspiration for, for me to, with the riffing in Agony Vision, our song yep. Agony Vision. Yeah, right. Yep. But um, also, I guess one thing they didn't necessarily compromise on with this album was the... Their vocal, their lyrics, and the fact that they are. Uh, oh, their was- lyrics are. Barney's lyrics are always brilliant, always um, very socially aware, which is the gun, the grindcore style, really, um, that they always began with. But um, yeah, yeah, really, really clever lyrics. I like I like watching him live now on YouTube and, and the like when uh, he introduces songs. He still wants to push the message and yep. he'll often sort of lament, I think, the fact that he's been pushing this message for 30 years and <laughs> it's, he said, it's just got to, things have got to change. Don't know when, don't know how, but they've got to change. Yep. 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 And I, th- I think they'll, uh, they'll keep doing that for as long as they can breathe. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's, um, I'm getting philosophical here, but that's sort of um, the role of the artist really, isn't it? That we, um, it's hard to change a culture from within because, um, even the thought patterns of people in that culture are dictated by the culture. So the artist is in a place where they can plant the seeds of change, but they won't necessarily see them spring to life. No, nicely said. Very <laughs> sage. They, Sorry they, about they, that. No, they know they want. Well, that's why you are the death metal poet. <laughs> um, the other thing about this album too, which I, I want to mention, is the solos. The solos in the album are great too. You don't get solos really in Napalm Death albums anymore. Mm. Uh, the, these solos were as good as anything going around for that time in terms yep. of a, a death metal release. It is. Yep. It is. It, it's. It's a death metal classic. It again, you know, they know the band knows that knows that, and they they I guess they respect that by making sure they always play at least suffer the children when they play live. Yep. But. Yep. Uh, 
there's a sense, I don't know, I, I don't know the politics around it, but I guess there was a sense of, um, I don't know who their label was at the time. Was it Earache or mm-hmm. um, them try, yeah, trying to push them to, because they were a pre-existing, a pre-existing band before the flourishing of the Florida death metal scene to try and, which got so popular so quickly, to try and sort of capitalise on that, um, on that impetus with their established brand, sort of maybe even forced them into Morris Sound Studios and maybe that's where they've there's some angst around it, but fuck what they made. Yeah. <laughs> they should rightfully be proud. And as I said, you know, there was that hint of a competition between them and Morbid Angel about who was the fastest, but in terms of the heaviest, this is, as I said, the heaviest release, I think, of all time. And even now, like, <laughs> I have played this to... Um, after they listen to one of our songs, and I say, "Well, have a listen to this then," and they can't, they can't stay in the same room. That's that's how brutal it is. Um, yeah. yeah. So check it out. And and I'll just say also, you you remember? I think it was the the VHS Hard and Heavy series we managed to get our hands on when yep. they did a Florida death metal special, and yep. they had interviews with Barney and 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 Mick Harris and. Yep. Whilst they're over there doing the recording, and just to get some of that insight from that time, if if anyone can track that down, it's worth a look because again, it's it's history in the making. It's can we evoke a wipeout? <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> um, you know what does he what does he say about the cacophony of crap? <laughs> it's like a cacophony of. It's like crap. a cacophony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There's there's some there's some absolute. If you can make the time to look for some of the early video stuff that was done, which again was was treasures to us when we could get our hands on it yep. without the internet, there's some there is some really interesting and uh, and uh, fun things to have a look at in terms yeah. of uh, the death Dave, industry. David Vincent, what was he? He was referencing a teacup or something. I don't know what it was about, but he had a cup of tea and he was referencing it for something. That was. That was a moment. I've actually, I have actually have tried to track down a few of those things, and um, Earache don't really like having things of their bands on f- for free viewing, so they often disappear. But I do on our Eons Abyss YouTube channel. I've got a playlist going, which I think I've called uh, "Metal Videos of Historical Significance." <laughs> um, you know, because we want to try and capture this stuff, and I've made a playlist with bits and pieces of this stuff. So if anyone's interested you might find that on that playlist. It was on there at some point in the past. Not sure if it's still there. Nice. <laughs> um, yes. So pleased to present these albums. They are very influential influential to us and um, we think they're well worthy of a listen in the 21st century again. So do check them out and um, continue to follow Matt Massacre and the bands that he'll present to you. If you found this entertaining, perhaps enlightening, just let Matt know because um, there are extra albums that we could have added to the discussion. We could have gone probably for another hour, I reckon. So if you're interested in a part three and a part four, perhaps, of this discussion, let Matt know. Thanks again for listening. So to put you on the spot, Death Metal Poet, uh, as a final close, can you, as on, on homage to Barney Greenway, give us a Barney Greenway Roy? So this is Barney Greenway doing a Cam Lee vocal wipeout. Ah!
perfect. I fucking love that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh that scream oh that was fucking glorious oh thank you guys gentlemen Stephen Paul from Eons Abyss always a pleasure oh boy that fucking scream holy shit <laughs> see you might be a little confused because we mentioned parts 3 and 4 already and these guys are talking about uh, potentially doing part 3 and 4 well it was decided that uh, these guys wanted me, or I, it was a mutual thing, I guess. Uh, these guys wanted me to be a part of, of what they're doing, and I wanted to be a part of it too while they're taking over the podcast um, for parts three and four, because like they said, they had a multitude of more albums to talk about, and that's that's what we did. So three and four, parts three and four, which you're going to hear next week and the week after, um, was kind of an afterthought after parts one and two. So that's to kind of clear that up a little bit. Um, but yeah, so thank you again, Paul and Steve for taking over this podcast. Appreciate it. All the love in the world. Um, but on to the albums of the hour and I buzzed out my notebook here. Let's turn the page. I took some notes on the albums that were discussed and, and, and kind of where they lie in my fandom and, and inspiration to just listen to heavy shit. <laughs> um, first and foremost, Deicide's self-titled album, their first release on Roadrunner. And um, with Deicide, I discovered them because of Roadrunner United. And I mentioned Roadrunner United last week on part one and how Roadrunner United led me to discovering Obituary and a bunch of other bands and the trend continues here on a part two with Deicide. Because Glenn Benton did a track on vocals on uh, Roadrunner United. I lost my train of thought there. And the track he was on, I believe, was called Annihilation by the Hands of God. And I think, coincidentally, I mentioned... Um, I forget his name now. Holy crap. James Murphy. James Murphy. I mentioned his solo in the DVD in last week's episode, and the solo that he was doing in that DVD that inspired me to discover other bands is the solo you hear in the song Annihilation by the Hands of God that Glenn Benton's a part of. So it's kind of cool. I discovered a lot of bands just from that one song. And basically, Roadrunner United, what I'm talking about, is a compilation album, if you will. It was Roadrunner Roadrunner Records' way of celebrating 25 years of existence. And basically what they did was they contacted... Every musician and every band that has ever been a part of Roadrunner to try to get musicians together to write a one-off album where essentially every song is a supergroup. And it's a tremendous idea. I really wish it would happen again. And I don't think it will with the Roadrunner um, because currently the current front office or the you know big wigs or whatever you want to call it at Roadrunner are different today than they were then. I don't think anybody that was a part of the Roadrunner United album and the office is currently still with Roadrunner, as far as I know, which kind of bums me out. But hey, if anybody from Roadrunner is listening, do us all a favor. <laughs> uh, but because of that, it's because of that album that led me to discovering Deicide. And um, I kind of went back and went through their discography and, and rediscovered all these albums that they released. And at the time... Um, 
Scars of the Crucifix, I think, was the current album in middle school. I think it came out in 04. That sounds about right. Because 04, or not 04, excuse me. <laughs> middle school was really my discovery period, if you will, um, and all of this classic death metal stuff that I really grew to, di- to, to, to love and digest and still love to this day. And I think Scars of the Crucifix was the album in question that I kind of suction cup too because it was current and then I went back and rediscovered the old albums including the self-titled album which which is what these guys discussed and I gotta agree with Paul because Paul said that if you're gonna start with Deicide start with a self-titled album and I gotta agree with him I gotta agree with him granted Scars of the Crucifix was the first album I discovered because that's when you put Deicide in the into the Google machine that was the album that came up because it was the current album at the time. But if I had to choose, I would definitely start with the self-titled album, the debut album. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, um, Deicide really wrote a bad album. I mean, I discovered every album between the self-titled all the way to like the Stench of Redemption, which came out in two thousand six, and I bought that new. Um, in 06 because I was such a good such a huge fan of Deicide but like you know Serpents of the Light Incineratum uh, and Tormund in Hell I feel like I'm missing some Legion Once Upon the Cross I mean all these albums are fucking fantastic but definitely 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 if you have not heard of Deicide or this is the first time you're hearing of Deicide definitely start with this album with the stealth title album um and I'm with the guys in Eon's Abyss. Paul and Steve, believe it or not, I have never seen Deicide live. And it bums me out. I don't know how it's happened. I don't know why. Because you'd think it'd be, being that they're an American band and I live in the States, you'd think I'd have all the opportunities in the world. And I'm sure I have. Um, but I just never, I never saw them. And it really bums me out. And uh, hopefully one day. Hopefully one day because I think believe they're still around I think yeah they have to be they have to be because I just released an album not too long ago but yeah the the self-titled album DSI it's one of my favorites it always has been I had a shirt in high school well with this album cover on it and if you're unfamiliar with the album cover it's pretty much I don't know how to describe it you know like the uh, like a Mayan calendar or like the the gold coins in the first Pirates of the Bean movie that that cursed the Black Pearl crew when they turned into zombies or whatever, undead skeletons when the moonlight hit them, and they had to find all these gold pieces. If you can visualize what those gold pieces look like, that's kind of what the album cover looks like. And I had a t-shirt in high school. I think I had uh, an Incineratum uh, shirt. I had a lot of DSI shirts. They're one of my favorite bands, one of my favorite death metal bands especially. Um, But I got to say Dead by Dawn is my favorite track on this album, uh, mostly because it, was the um on the GTA 4 expansion I'm a big gamer and on the Grand Theft Auto 4 expansion Lost on the Damned Dead by Dawn is actually in the game and I can't remember when that came out 2007 2008 I don't know uh, but that's if I had to choose Dead by Dawn is definitely uh, my favorite track on the album um but yeah I think that about covers everything with uh, Deicide, and like these guys said, this was album was recorded at More Sound in Tampa by Scott Burns, and every single album discussed here in part two was recorded at More Sound 
at or at Morrisound with Scott Burns, which is crazy. I mean, it's probably all a coincidence, but I just you don't realize how big of an impact that studio had until you line up all the death metal albums in a row and realize how many were recorded there. And that kind of takes us to The Bleeding by Cannibal Corpse. The fourth studio album, I believe, the last one with Chris Barnes. And I got a lot of history with this album. I will agree with the guys. This is my favorite Cannibal Corpse album, The Bleeding. Uh, I love it to death. And it, it's just front to back perfection. I, I, I cannot say enough about this album. But as how I came to discover the band, naturally this album came out in 94. I was three. <laughs> Didn't really discover it in 94, but I think subconsciously, the guys mentioned it a little bit. I think subconsciously, I knew I was going to become a Cannibal Corpse fan because of Ace Ventura. And that came out, I think, the same year, or a couple years after. And I I watched that movie growing up as a child uh, countless times, countless, countless times. And I got a feeling that scene like took a hold of my subconscious and just never let go, because here we are. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, subconsciously, Ace Ventura... Uh, how I came to know of Cannibal Corpse is actually um, the old MTV2 version of Headbangers Ball, the one that Jamie Josta hosted from Hatebreed. He hosted it from like 2003 to like 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. And uh, a lot of these albums and a lot of this death metal that I really got into, I discovered in middle school. And this was the same amount of time, uh, or same time frame, I should say that all this discovery happened and this was right when the wretched spawn i think was the current album of the time and on headbangers ball uh jamie justa kept playing uh, decency defiled off that album um and that was before i even knew who cannibal corpse was and that uh, that song that album's tremendous as well but decency defiled one of my favorite songs of all time to be honest with you and uh, just because it was my first um, ticket to to discover Cannibal Corpse as a whole, and then naturally, you know, I went backwards in time and did my research and discovered all the old or the older albums and discovered the transition from Chris Barnes to Corpse Grinder and all that stuff. Um, and then you know, discovered the classics like Hammer Smash Face. You know, me and my buddies in high school played that constantly 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 and naturally that was the song that was played in in ace ventura as well so i feel like if you've heard of cannibal corpse and don't know that song it sounds wrong <laughs> um but yeah like i said a few minutes ago the bleeding is my favorite cannibal corpse album and um at the time i think kill came out in 2006 and i believe that album is their Kill was I think I think the Kill was their biggest commercial success. And I think it has a lot to do with my generation because of probably Headbangers Ball and, and shit like that, you know, getting um Cannibal Corpse to our ears, our our younger ears. I know like Steve and Paul got to uh embrace it as it happened, but for people in my generation and kids in my generation that discovered all this heavy shit um, younger, younger years, like 12, 13 years old, um, Cannibal Corpse is no different. So when I discovered that Chris Barnes was the original vocalist and everything, and, and Corpse Grinder was the current vocalist, which is, is just great. They have their both, each, each vocalist has their, 
uh, quirks, individual quirks, individual individuality, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, but I do got to agree with the guys for the bleeding. It is definitely Chris Barnes is, uh, it's his best work. I think my opinion on the bleeding, um, and fun story, fun little story. I, I think Chris Barnes left cannibal corpse shortly after the bleeding tour cycle finished or something. Cause he, he left cannibal corpse and there, they split mutually and then Chris Barnes started six feet under six feet under was already thing. And then he just rolled with that the rest of his career into current day. Um, so naturally being that Chris Barnes left cannibal corpse when I was three years old, I never got to see cannibal with Chris Barnes, like the guys in the Anzibis did, which I'm jealous as fuck about, by the way. <laughs> um, but what I did get to see is six feet under. And I had the pleasure of meeting Chris Barnes at summer slaughter 2011 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, uh, six feet under actually played stripped, raped and strangled off the bleeding and hammer smash face live. So I know it wasn't cannibal corpse as a whole, you know, but it's still, I got to see Chris Barnes. The only time I got to see six feet under the only time I've got to see Chris Barnes, period, and they played Stripped, Raped, and Strangled, which is my favorite track off of The Bleeding, by the way, and Hammer Smash Face. And I got to meet him, and um, it was a great experience. He autographed my poster. He got a picture with him. And Chris Barnes, he's a great dude. He's a really down-to-earth guy, and I feel bad for the band that played after Six Feet. I can't remember who played after Six Feet that tour, but I have a feeling that um, Chris Barnes and six feet did the same thing every stop along the way. And, um, cause he always, he said after the set, is it come meet me at the, at the merch booth? We're doing meet and greets da, 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 for free. And like literally the entire fucking crowd went to the merch booth. And I don't know how I was able to get in there. Cause there was a lot of people, <laughs> but I'm glad that I did. Cause that's an experience I will never forget. And, uh, a little bit later on in the night, that same show, uh, it was a co-headline um, thing. So that year's Summer Slaughter was a co-headline tour. And one of the co-headliners I really wasn't a huge fan of. So after the headliner that I wanted to see, their set ended, I went outside because I carpooled there. I didn't drive. All the people that I rode with liked the other co-headliner more than I did. So I went outside for some air because I was pitting all night I was sweaty I stunk I just needed to get some air it was in the middle of summer hence summer slaughter and I just had to get out of there and um so I go out to the front of the building and happen to glance up and I see dreads I'm like what and after closer inspection Chris Barnes is hanging out in front of the tour bus by himself so I go up to Chris Barnes and I introduce myself again I'm like hey uh I know I met you a couple hours ago. I needed your meet degree. I just want to shake your hand again. And I was just in awe. You know, this guy is a death metal legend. You know, arguably the innovator of the death growl. I mean, if not the innovator, the the man that brought it more attention because of the success of Cannibal Corpse, if that makes any sense. And we talk, I talked to him for like 45 minutes. And the transition of events that happened in an hour... I talked to Chris Barnes for 45 minutes. Phil Bozeman from Whitechapel comes around six feet to her bus, asks me for a cigarette, because I smoked at the time, asked me for a cigarette. I gave him one, and he 
stood there and shot the shit with me and Chris Barnes, and there's nobody else around because everybody else is inside watching the other headliner. And so I'm shooting the shit with Phil, or Phil Bozeman and Chris Barnes. He's smoking a cigarette because his girlfriend doesn't want to... He did, she, didn't, she didn't want him smoking or something, and he had to hide. I, I believe he's smoke-free now, so good for him. I am too, you know, virtual handshake, Phil Bozeman. And then at the time, one of my favorite bands is Chimera. And Matt DeVries and Rob Arnold of Chimera, I don't think Chimera were around, or they broke up, or at least those two guys left the band. At that time, Matt DeVries and Rob Arnold were filling in on that tour for Six Feet Under. So as I'm talking to these two guys... They come around the bus. So now I'm shooting the shit with Rob Arnold, Matt DeVries, Chris Barnes, and Phil Bozeman at the same time. Just us five for like 20 more minutes. And I am in fucking fangirl heaven that this is even happening. And it's blowing my mind. And then 20 minutes later, Dying Fetus, another fantastic death metal band, they played that, they played that tour too. All three members of Dying Fetus come walking to their van. And I'm like, I need to talk to these guys because they were one of my favorite bands ever. <laughs> so I cut the conversation with those guys, with Chris Barnes and the guys from Chimera and, and Phil Bozeman. And I go and introduce myself to the guys from Dying Fetus. And John Gallagher, the guitar player slash vocalist, I'm wearing a Dying Fetus shirt. And he's like, hey, dude, nice shirt. And I thought he was joking, so I'm playing off. I'm like, yeah, man, these guys are pretty cool. You ever heard of them? He's like, no, really, I nice shirt. I had no idea that we even made that. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> so that tour and that experience, I got a little off topic there. It's kind of on topic, kind of off topic, a little far ahead. Um, but that's a great story about Chris Barnes and it, you know the bleeding. And I got to hear Strip Rage Strangle, which is my favorite song off of my favorite Cannibal album. And I got to hear it screamed by... Chris Barnes himself, and it, it was it was an experience all around. Um, but yeah, and then another funny story with the bleeding. I had a bleeding uh, album cover T-shirt that I wore in school, and if you're familiar with the album cover, you know the the upper torso of a man ripped to pieces by zombies and shit. Well, that was the front of the shirt, and the back of the shirt was just a zoomed-in version of the dude's fucking car. Half of his carcass just chilling there. Needless to say, I wore that to school, and I lasted all of about 15 minutes before somebody told me to take it off. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. And then, uh, kind of as Paul mentioned, he mentioned um, Bob Dole being a uh, an unintentional launching pad for Cannibal Corpse. And the video he was talking about uh, is off of Cannibal Corpse's, Cent- Cannibal Corpse's Centuries of Torment DVD. And all three discs are on YouTube right now. I highly recommend that you check it out. I know, I don't even think Steve has seen all of it from Eons Abyss. Because we were talking about the album cover for The Bleeding and um, original and the re-release and and stuff. We were talking about the album cover when I was making the graphic for part two. And I mentioned Centuries of Torment and he said he's going to watch it. And if you're unfamiliar with old school death metal, if you're just getting into it, if you're just being exposed to that era of death metal for the first time, hopefully because of this podcast. Um, hopefully. <laughs> but if you have been familiar with it and are a listener to this podcast and just happen to gauge some interest, as I've, as I've mentioned, 
you're going to hear the terms Moore Sound Studios and Scott Burns get brought up a lot. Because Scott Burns and Moore Sound Studios released, or helped record and, and master legendary albums. I mean, legendary albums. And the first disc of this Centuries of Torment DVD by Cannibal Corpse is three hours long. It's all on YouTube. Just uh, search on YouTube, you know, Cannibal Corpse DVD Metal Blade Records or something. It should pop right up. And I'd say it's three hours long because it covers the first 20 years of Cannibal Corpse's existence. I think it was released in 2008 or something like that. Um, it released shortly after Kill released. I don't think Evisceration Plague was out yet when this DVD released. I think I might have released right before Evisceration Plague came out. Um, but yeah, watch Centuries of Torment on YouTube if you're unfamiliar with this era of death metal because, like I said, the first disc is three hours long, but the first hour and a half of it, the first half of it, I'd say, covers the early years of Cannibal Corpse, and they kind of go into small detail on Morris Sound Studios, all of the albums that were produced there, all the albums Scott Burns did, and Scott Burns himself is actually in this documentary. So you're going to hear us talk about Scott Burns a lot in this miniseries. So if you want to put you know, a better visualization of who this man is and why he's so important, watch Centuries of Torment on YouTube. Um, I actually own the physical version of this DVD, which is... You know, I'm a big physical collector, and I didn't know it was on YouTube until Steve told me about it, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out. I love the bleeding. I got a little far ahead of myself here on this section, but we'll get into the next album that was discussed. Let me just flip my page here to Napalm Death and their album Harmony Corruption. Now, you guys are going to be shocked, but I didn't get into Napalm Death in high school. I got into them later in life, and I'm really kicking myself in the fucking teeth for that. Um, because the album I really was exposed to in high school was Scum. And I believe that might have been their first release ever. Don't quote me on that. I didn't. I, didn't, I should have looked it up before I said anything. <laughs> um, but when I heard a couple songs off of Scum, it it's really really grindcore and at the time I really wasn't a huge fan of grindcore it's grown on me now I really do enjoy it and that album and Napalm Death are kind of synonymous with laying the foundations for modern day grindcore um, as they should be because Scum after a re-listen later in life is one of the greatest fucking albums I've ever, ever written for grindcore uh, but Harmony Corruption the album of the hour it is fantastic I don't know I'm not going to go as far as say kind of what Paul said, it's the heaviest album of all time, I, uh, it's fucking kick-ass, but that's a lot, I mean, that's a really big sentence, <laughs> you know what I mean, um, so I just kind of think it's odd that I never got into it in high school, I just don't know why, high school, middle school, I think it's because I heard Scum first, and that's more of a grindcore album, and I just wasn't a fan of grindcore, that's the only thing I could think of, um, but since then, I have listened to a lot of Napalm's releases, and I think one of the benefits of Napalm Death is no two albums are really the same. They're not. So you can dive into any Napalm Death album and you're going to have a different experience every time with that album because everybody experiences metal or music, for that matter, in their own way, on their own time. And it's no different with Napalm Death, but if you've never heard of them and you just pick an album, I recommend Harmony Corruption. 
Uh, it's a f- fucking fantastic album. I, I definitely I had to give it a re-listen uh, before we put part two together. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I echo everything that those guys said about this album. I took every single word out of my mouth because I, I had to give it, I had to give their rendition of these albums a re-listen so that way I didn't know or so that way I didn't repeat myself too much. Um, and I listened to it again, and Steve and Paul really echo identical sentiment about this album, minus the whole heaviest album of all time. I could agree with you to a point, Paul, but not 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really don't have much else on Napalm Death because they. I really didn't have a moment in time to where I fell in love with them until later in life, and I don't remember when that moment was now because I'm a fucking space cadet and don't remember shit like that anymore. <laughs> but growing up, it, it stuck out to me more, I guess. I don't know. Um, but definitely check out Harmony Corruption by Napalm Death. I wish I had more to say about it, but I just... I don't... I don't know. It's weird. But I feel like I've rambled for way too long, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, maybe maybe more, half an hour. Um... So let's get into these tunes from these bands, these amazing bands that we have on this week. And uh, we're going to start with the first band from San Diego, California. California? California. There you go, Matt. Get your fucking head on. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we got four more bands this week. Um, We're going to get right into it, get some tunes going, get some modern day old school death metal influenced death metal. Say that ten times fast. Uh, But this first band is from San Diego, California. They're called Beekeeper, and this is their track, Vegeta. Enjoy.
Talk about unique. Am I right? Allie from Beekeeper throwing it down with some growls and some cleans. You don't hear that every day in death metal, which is why it's fucking fantastic and why I love that song, Vegeta. They gave me uh, a couple songs to choose from. They really weren't too specific on what song they wanted to be a part of this podcast. And I chose Vegeta because I'm a really big DBZ nerd. And I mean, why not, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that track was called Vegeta. It is track four, I believe. Yes, track four off of their album, Slaves to the Nothing. And uh, yeah, dude, that song kicks ass. And the whole album, Slaves to the Nothing, is fan-fucking-tastic. Make sure you uh, check out Beekeeper on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Bandcamp, YouTube, and I believe that's it. Don't quote me on that. I think, yes, that is it. So give him a like on Facebook, give him a follow on Instagram, give him a subscribe, hit that subscribe button on their YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is kind of cool. They do playthroughs, have uh, music videos, they do a little uh, like comedy things and conversational things, and it's it's a really cool YouTube channel. I definitely checked it out. Uh, checked out a few episodes or a few episodes, a few videos <laughs> of uh, what they got going on on the Beekeeper uh, official YouTube channel. So definitely check that out. And also shout out to metal assault records who these guys are signed to make sure you check them out. Instagram.com forward slash metal assault. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that should do it for the first band of the hour. Thank you again, beekeeper, uh, for being a part of this, uh, mini series, this, event thing this i don't know <laughs> it's early it's more well, early late depending I'm, I'm losing my damn mind over here don't mind me <laughs> um but we got three more bands for you this week on part two of death metal diaries the next band in question is called virulent scourge virulent scourge from warsaw poland and this is their track plague whispers enjoy
I absolutely love the tone of that track, of this album, of this band. I mean, it's a great calling to the past. I mean, it, it, it personifies everything that is old school death metal in this album. And if you might notice, there's there's a few thrash elements, and you're going to find that to be commonplace um, because a lot of the early death metal records of the era uh, took a lot of thrash influences because that was what was popular in the late 80s. So when you all the early 90s death metal albums that you hear, they're going to have a lot of thrash elements because that's just what people were into then, and that's what these guitar players uh, developed influence from. So they took a lot of those thrash elements and just modified it to to create riffs and sounds that that personify what is death metal today a little fun fact there i don't know i'm assuming some of you knew that already i would hope um but that's yeah that's just kind of how it progressed through time uh but yeah before i get too far ahead of myself that was virulent scourge from poland with their track plague whispers which is track three to be exact off their newest album judgment of carry on which was released in... Oh, it was released a few weeks ago, March 12th. Or no, sorry. It was re- released last year, March 12th of 2020. My bad. My my, my apologies. Uh, check them out. Virulent Scourge, Facebook, Instagram, Bandcamp. Virulent Scourge, as always, every every episode, miniseries or not, we at the podcast here always tag the bands that are going to be a part of each episode as they release. So if for whatever reason you're having trouble or difficulty finding these bands on social media by all means hit up our social media pages where you will find the tag links to each one of these bands click on it throw them a like throw them a follow show them some love on Bandcamp. um i believe they have some cds for sale Firewind scourge does on their Bandcamp. yes they do it's in euros being that they're from poland um and i'm not sure if Bandcamp's doing their free fridays anymore i hope they are i haven't heard any updates i hope they are but if, if they are and you're keen to buy some stuff on Bandcamp, wait till Friday because 100% of the purchase price goes directly to the bands because normally Bandcamp takes a small percentage of the finances in order to operate their, what they are, Bandcamp, you know. Oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, and I think I forgot to mention with Beekeeper, the first track you heard, um, they do also have a bunch of merch and vinyl and CDs available on their Bandcamp as well, so check that out. Uh, but yes, thank you, Violent... Vi- Pause. Rewind. <laughs> Concentrate, Matt. Jesus Christ. Thank you to Virulent Scourge for being a part of this. Uh, and thank you to every band so far that's been on this, this this journey of Death Metal Diaries. The third band we have this week is from Sweden, and they are called Paranorm, and this is their track, Critical Mass. Enjoy. Hey, 
You guys remember last week how I said I was going to give myself self-induced whiplash? Well, uh, yeah, the trend's continuing. Jesus Christ. The guitar work in that. And that's the opening track. That's the fucking opening track. Insanity. That was fucking tremendous. That, my friends, was Critical Mass by the band Paranorm from Sweden. And that track is the opening track, like I mentioned, off of their album, Empyrean, which released everywhere not too long ago, I believe. February 26th of this year, so about a month ago. Uh, But yeah, definitely check this album out. Uh, It's, oh my god, it's so good. I think it's eight tracks. Yes, it is eight track. It's an eight track album. Paranorm, they're on Facebook. Instagram, YouTube, Bandcamp, they have their own website, ParanormBand.com, with links to all of that. I'll give them a like on Facebook, give them a follow on Instagram, give them a subscribe, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, where I'm going to go to their YouTube channel real quick. I believe they have, who um, don't want to play the song again, <laughs> I believe they have a, a playthrough um, of the whole album in Perian, if you're not a fan of streaming services, because some people aren't, I've learned that in my travels, uh, excuse me, um, but yeah, they got a bunch of, a uh, bunch of tunes on their YouTube channel, so give them a like, give them a follow, tell them that Straight to the Core sent you, and, uh, yeah, fucking hey, thank you, Paranorm, for agreeing to be a part of this as well, uh, we got one more band for you this week on part two of Death Metal Diaries, and this band is from Colombia. they're called Casket Grinder, and this song is called what lies across. Enjoy.
talk about unbridled, raw, punch-you-in-the-fucking-teeth death metal. I love it. Casket Grinder from Columbia throwing it down with their track, What Lies Across. And this song is from their album Fall Into Dementia, which was released June 6th of last year, 2020. Uh, Show them some love on Facebook, Instagram, Bandcamp. Give them a like, give them a follow. Make sure you tell them that Straight to the Course sent you. And shout out as well to Awakening Records from China. Check them out on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Awakening Records CN. Or go to awakeningrecords.cn. It's their official website. Um, Independent underground record label from China. They're representing Casket Grinder uh, for the release of Fallen to Dementia. And I believe they have a YouTube channel where you can stream the entire album uh, as well. So check that out. Show them some love. Hit them up on Spotify. I mean, if you've got streaming services, all these bands are available on every streaming service. Uh, it's pretty much commonplace <laughs> at this point to have all this music available. Uh, but we got eight more bands across the next two parts. Thank you again to Casket Grinder, Paranorm, Virulent Scourge, and um, Beekeeper for being a part of part two this week. we got eight more bands, like I said, across the next two parts. And parts three and four are going to be a bit different. Kind of as you heard towards the end of uh, the segment with Stephen Paul, uh, parts three and four were kind of an afterthought. Uh, initially, it was just going to be the two parts. There was going to be, that was it. But then, like kind of how they said, they had so many other albums they wanted to talk about, and I wanted to talk about it with them. So it was kind of a mutual agreement to, to do it together for parts three and four. And even still... There's a significant amount of albums that didn't get mentioned, so there might even be a part five and six. Put a pin in it. We'll see what happens, but hey, keep your ears open. Keep your ears open. It could happen. Stay tuned to the future. You never know. I would love to do more of these things with these guys and maybe even delve into other genres. Maybe make it a a thing every now and again. I don't know. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Thank you all for listening this week to part two. Part three will air next Sunday. I forget the date. Let me look real quick. Probably should have checked this. <laughs> Next Sunday is April third. No, sorry, April fourth. Fucking a, Matt. You're really, you're really together this evening, aren't you? <laughs> but thank you again, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Casket Grinder, Paranorm, Violent Scourge, and Beekeeper again for being a part of this week's episode, part two of Death Metal Diaries, a '90s death metal retrospective. I got a feeling that the next couple episodes are going to be a bit shorter, seeing that I'm a part of the conversation when they take over the podcast. Um, So it'll be not as long. I I try to keep them around an hour. Uh, But the last part one was like an hour and 45. I want to say this one will be about an hour and a half. So a bit shorter, but uh, it'll definitely be shorter the next two weeks. So you don't have to dedicate so much time to listen to me ramble for an hour and a half. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thank you to Stephen Paul of Eons Abyss for uh, putting this idea into motion. Thank you for taking over this podcast. You can take it over anytime you want. Um, and thank you to all of the great feedback that we've both gotten, both Eons Abyss and myself have gotten with part one. And before we go, one thing I want to mention is the compliment I've I've kind of heard the most of is the little drum and bass um, kind of fillers to separate the parts in there. A lot of people thought it was me that did it. Well, in fact, it was actually Stephen O'Brien of Eon's Abyss. He kind of just threw together some improv drum and bass stuff and, and used that uh, 
as, as filler um, in, in, in the parts there. So I wanted to throw that out there that that's all Steve doing that. Steve and Ian's Abyss uh, putting together those little drum and bass sections uh, to kind of split up the episode a bit there. So uh, also the intro is made by Ian's Abyss, believe it or not. So yeah. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in to part two of Death Metal Diaries, a 90s death metal retrospective. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a great week ahead of you. It's starting to get warm out. At least it is in the States. I believe the seasons are flip-flopped in Australia, so it might be winter for you, for the, for you Australian listeners. If so, bust out that winter gear. It's probably starting to get cold. For us Americans, we're going to bust out the fucking swim trunks and the lawnmowers because it's getting fucking nice out, and I'm excited. So, like I said, enjoy your week, everybody. My name is Matt Massacre, your host as always. I love you all. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Stay tuned next week for part three of Death Metal Diaries. You guys have a great night. I'll talk to you guys next time.